Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to the Pastor's Study. The other night I was with 10 friends of mine and I asked them the question, what do you think is the saddest verse in the Bible? Three of them said, Jesus wept. One of them said, and Judas went out and hung himself. But here's what I think is the saddest verse in the Bible. Jesus on the cross says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think that's the saddest verse in the book. And people don't realize this. When Jesus said those words, he was quoting a verse from Psalm 22, written by King David, 1,000 years B.C. It's an amazing uh, psalm because Psalm 22 predicts the crucifixion of Christ in detail as if Jesus is maybe saying everybody go home and read Psalm 22 and watch me perfectly fulfill it 1,000 years later. And another thing about this verse, some people think, well Jesus said, God why have you forsaken me, but he didn't really mean it because we know God the Father would never forsake God the Son. I disagree. I think God the Father indeed literally forsook God the Son on the cross. And the question for this half hour is why? Why did God the Father forsake Jesus? And the answer is to make atonement. At one Let me explain the atonement. This hand is you and me, human beings. This hand is God. We are not one. We are estranged. On our side, we have sin and rebellion. We turn our back on God. We don't like God. On God's side, he is holy and can't look on sin. So there's estrangement between God and man. So God the Father comes up with the atonement. He sends uh, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, to become a human, to live the perfect life, to die on the cross for our sins, to make our at-one-ment, atonement, so we could be forgiven and at one again with God. What I want to do in this half hour is go through what some people believe is the most important paragraph of the Bible, Romans chapter 3. Would you take out your Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 3, and before we begin, let's pray. Father, we pray if someone is watching this TV show and they think they're too sinful to come to you, and that they would never go to heaven, they'd never have a relationship with you because they sin so much. We pray, Lord, open their ears and eyes now to the beauty of the atonement. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul the Apostle writes to the Christians at Rome, Romans chapter 3, we're starting at verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Here's the first lesson today. We need the atonement because we are sinners. If, if you're not a sinner, you don't need the atonement. I would ask you to pray for a certain relative of mine. She goes now to a very liberal 
United Church of Christ congregation. And she told me a while ago, she doesn't believe in original sin, that we're born sinful. And the pastor at her church, I went to the website, the, the liberal congregational pastor at her church does not believe that Jesus died to make atonement for our sins. That's the whole ball game. The, the atonement is why Jesus came, and this liberal congregational pastor doesn't even believe in it. So, so pray for that relative of mine. Uh, on the other hand, if you know you're a sinner, you know you need the atonement. When I was working on this sermon, I was, I was at McDonald's, and I had my laptop, and I'm writing this sermon, and this older man comes and plops right in front of me on the other side of the table, and he wants to talk. I didn't know this guy. So he just talks, and we had, he talked a lot. Catholic man, he learns I'm a pastor, and we, we talk. And after quite a bit of talking, I thought, I'm going to share the gospel with this man. And I said to him, let me tell you what I think is the most important thing. You've got to know you're a sinner. And you've got to believe that Jesus came to earth, died on the cross to pay for your sins, and by believing in him, you'll be saved. And we had a great talk. But again, if you don't think you're a sinner, you don't need Jesus. And can I tell you, William F. Buckley was a Catholic. He, he has died, but he said years ago, the one doctrine of the Christian church that is empirically verifiable, meaning that you can prove, is the doctrine of original sin, <laughs> that we're all born sinners. And his point was, look in the mirror, read the newspaper, watch TV. The evidence is everywhere that mankind is sinful. And do you know where I see today original sin coming out a lot? In blogs. I, if you go to pastorstudy.org, two S's, I write a blog now. If, if you go to the, that website on the left are all my articles about present-day heresy in the church and other stuff. Well, there's one Lutheran pastor, liberal pastor, who does not like what I have to say. And, and some of these liberal pastors that are attacking me, they're, they're bitter they're angry. I had to finally block this Lutheran pastor because he was using obscenity. I said, you're not on this thing anymore because he was calling me a name I can't tell you on TV. And my, the point is, we are sinners, pastors included. We need the atonement. Verse 24, Romans 3, 24. All have sinned and are justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Three hugely important words in that one verse. Justified, grace, redemption. Let's first talk about the word justified. Paul takes, the Apostle Paul takes that word from the Roman law courts. Here's what it means to be justified. It means to be declared not guilty, to be declared righteous. And here's the scene. You come before God on judgment day. You stand before God. He knows all your sins. You're guilty. But before he would say guilty, your defense attorney, Jesus, stands up and says, well, remember, Father, I've already paid for all of his sins. So because his sentence has already been served, it was served on me on the cross, I ask for a favorable verdict, and God looks at you and says, not guilty. I declare you righteous. That's what it means to be justified. 
Next word. How are we justified? We are justified by God's grace. The word grace means God's unearned favor. Most people in the world think they're getting to heaven because they've been a good person. And I think I've earned it because I've been good. No, you haven't been good. You're a sinner. What you've earned is hell. So therefore, the only way we're going to be justified is by God's unearned favor, by his grace. And if you remember, maybe you saw this show. There's Christianity, there's um, Catholicism, Protestantism, Orthodoxy. We had an Orthodox priest on this show a while ago. And I asked him on the show, how do you think people get to heaven? And I said, as a Bible-believing Christian, I believe we're saved by God's grace alone, not by our good works. And the Orthodox priest said, well, the Orthodox Church teaches we're saved by grace and good works. And I just cringed inside because if that's true, nobody will be sure if you're saved. Because how do I know if I've got enough good works to add to God's grace to get saved? So, but... Uh, hallelujah, this verse teaches we are saved by grace. We are justified, declared not guilty by God's grace, honored favor through the redemption of Christ. The word redemption means Jesus paid my price so I could be forgiven. We're justified by his grace through the redemption. And look at verse 25. Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Here's the next lesson. God put Jesus on the cross. God displayed Jesus publicly as our propitiation. Years ago, Mel Gibson made a movie called The Passion. It was controversial because people claimed that it was anti-Semitic because it made it look like the Jews killed Jesus. So Diane Sawyer on TV is interviewing Mel Gibson and she says, well, Mel, who did kill Jesus? And Mel Gibson had a good answer, and he said, we all killed Jesus. But you know, there's even a deeper answer than that. You know who killed Jesus? God killed Jesus. I, I get this from Acts chapter 2. Peter is preaching, and he says, Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And then Isaiah 53, predicting the crucifixion, it says, the Lord was pleased to crush him. Years ago, I visited a Presbyterian church. Presbyterians are supposed to believe in predestination. That's kind of their thing. So I go to this Presbyterian church, and it was a Lenten service. The preacher gets up and says, when God sent Jesus into the world, it was not God's plan that his son be tortured and crucified. I went up after church, we're shaking hands. I said, Pastor, what do you do with Acts chapter two? Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Um, yes, this was all predestined. Look at the rest of verse 25. Jesus was put forward as a propitiation by his blood, blood meaning his sacrificial death. And what does that big word propitiation mean? Well, let me define it for you. To propitiate means to turn away wrath by the offering of a gift. For instance, husbands, have you ever made your wife mad 
And so you buy her some flowers and you say, here, honey, <laughs> you're trying to propitiate your wife. You're trying to turn her wrath away by offering a gift. That's what Jesus did in the Old Testament. That's what the Jews did. If they would sin, they would take a lamb, go to the temple, confess their sins. The lamb would be killed, but the worshiper went home free. When we say that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, we mean that Jesus is the gift. That, and here's what's different. We don't offer Jesus up to God. God offers Jesus down to us to turn away God's own wrath from, from us. And, and, and Christian propitiation is not something we do to God. He does it for us by offering Jesus down that turns his own way, wrath away from us. A, a picture of this. In World War I, I believe his name was Homer Larson, was posthumously after death given the uh, Medal of Honor. And what he had done was a live grenade landed in the foxhole. He threw himself upon it, killed him, but the rest of the men in his foxhole were saved. That's what propitiation is. The grenade is the wrath of God. Jesus on the cross throws himself, takes the punishment of God so God can remain holy, takes our punishment so that we could be saved. Look at verse 25, and this, this gets a little complex. I hope I can explain this. Uh, this was to show, the reason God did the cross, this was to show God's righteousness. Because in God's divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let me try to explain that. In the Old Testament, it didn't look like God was righteous because he didn't punish sin all the time. Sometimes he did, but all these people got away with sinning and didn't get punished. So, so God has to defend himself, and God shows the world that he hates sin and will judge every sin, but he does it on the back of his son, so the two things can happen. God can be just and holy and sin-hating, and the justifier, the savior of those who have faith in Jesus. Look at verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works, good works? No, but by a law of faith. Here's the next lesson. You can't boast about your salvation because you didn't do it. Jesus did. Again, almost everybody thinks they're getting to heaven by being good. Think again. The only reason you go to heaven is because of what Jesus did. And verse 28. For we hold that one is justified, declared not guilty, by faith in Christ. We hold that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Here's the next lesson. We are saved by faith in Christ apart from our works. In other words, that Orthodox priest that was on our TV show, he was wrong. <laughs> We're not saved by faith and our good works. We are justified by faith, Paul says, apart from works. Therefore, you can be sure you're saved. Because my salvation depends on Jesus on the cross, not on how good I am. Hallelujah. Now, I just want to share when this became clear to me. I was raised Lutheran, 
And do you realize the Lutheran Church was built on Paul's doctrine of justification by grace alone. Martin Luther in the 1500s was a medieval monk, thought you're saved by being good enough, reads the book of Romans, rediscovered we're saved by grace, not works, changed the history of the world. I never got that growing up. And I kind of think I went off to college thinking, I hope I'm good enough. One night, I'm leading a Bible study, and a college girl says to me, Tom, can I talk to you after the Bible study? I said, sure. People leave, and she sits down, Tom, are you sure you're saved? And I got offended. I said, I think I'm saved. Tom, no, are you sure you're saved? And I said, yeah, I am. And then she left, and I'm sitting there thinking, did I just lie? Because I wasn't sure, I don't think. Well, that's when somebody explained to me grace. The, the New Testament teaches because of what Jesus did on the cross, it depends on him, not on you, you can be sure you're saved. That changed my life. I, I went to uh, Mexico a while ago. I kind of speak Spanish. I get on, a, on the bus for a two-hour drive, and I'm sitting next to this old Mexican woman who only speaks Spanish, and so we start talking, and I think I shared the gospel with her <laughs> in my broken Spanish. I've never had a two-hour intense talk in Spanish with anybody, but I'm getting there. And so we, she found out I was a preacher, and she's on the way to visit her dying sister. And she says to me, ¿Qué ocurre cuando se muere? <laughs> what happens when somebody dies? And I was able, in my broken Spanish, to share the whole ball game with her, that it's because of grace, what Christ did, that we're saved, not by being good enough that you're going to be saved. Let me ask you the question. As you watch this TV show right now, are you sure you're going to heaven? If you're not, open up your Bible, turn to 1 John 1, 9, not the Gospel of John, but way back by the end, by Revelation, 1 John 1, 9, and this is the verse that changed my life. Quote, I write this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And ever since that verse came clear to me way back when I was about 20 years old, I know for sure I'm going to heaven now. It's not because I'm proud, because I'm not the one who did it. Christ did it. And you want to have what's called the assurance of your salvation. Let, let me close with this. Years ago, I was at the church I served. I was sitting in the office, and I got a phone call, and Pastor Tom, my atheist husband is dying. Would you come talk to him? So this dear woman who went to our church, uh, I went over to her house. Her husband was in a hospital bed in the middle of the living room in his last few days. And I sit next to him, and, well, Mr. So-and-so, they say you're not going to make it. And, and I shared the whole gospel with him, and I said, would you like to pray and receive Jesus and ask him to come into your life, forgive your sins? And he looked at me with some anger and said, no. And I'll never forget this. His wife got on her knees next to his bed, held his hands, and begged him to receive Christ. And he looked at her and said, no, and died. All right, another story. I'm in my office, the phone rings. Uh, Pastor Brock, you don't know me, but my husband and I watch your TV show. My husband is not a believer, but he likes you. And I asked him, he's dying, and I, I asked him, can I ask Pastor Brock to come visit? Will you do it? And I said, 
you know, let me call you back. And I hung the phone up and I prayed because you never know what you're getting when people call from all over the Twin Cities. And, and, but I prayed about it and it was as if the Lord said, go now. And you know what it turned out? This lady was called, she lived two blocks from my church. I went over to her there, I got in the living room, and her husband is kind of crippled up in a wheelchair and kind of ornery guy. <laughs> and uh, he says to me, well, I don't know if I believe in the Trinity. I said, well, we should. The Bible talks about one God and three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And I, I, I kind of went close to him and I took out a little salvation booklet and I read through the plan of salvation. We're sinners, Christ died, rose again. Believe in him, you'll be saved. And the wife is sitting next to me on the couch and she's just praying under her breath. And I, I read the little part of the booklet to the man. Would you like to pray and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And he said, you know, I would. <laughs> and his wife starts going crazy. She's been praying for this guy for 50 years. He prayed and received Christ and shortly, I don't know, was it the next day maybe, he was dead. Here's my point. Why did God forsake Jesus on the cross? The answer is so that Jesus could make atonement, at one so ordinary men like that man in the wheelchair, like you and like me, could be forgiven of our sins and spend eternity in heaven. That's why Jesus was forsaken. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, we're in a whole new setting today. Yeah. We um, have been new doing set. this show for a long time, and this is done out of Northwest Community Television in Brooklyn Park, Minnesota. And they just did a complete remodel and upgrade of equipment, so we're all in a learning stage <laughs> of learning how to use high-definition equipment and everything. But we hope it's going to make your viewing experience even better than it's been in the past. Yeah. And, and, you know, Jackie, why don't we just quickly do a little history of our show? Just for people that are watching this in Tennessee or wherever, we've always been in Minneapolis for 26 years. But about five years ago, we went national. And so now, you know, we just do our little show here, but now we're all over the country. And this show almost died about, what, four years ago because we didn't have the money uh, to do it nationally anymore. And somebody sent in a huge gift. So here we are, and uh, that gift has been used up, so pray about helping us. But um, that is why you're seeing this show. So that's kind of the history there. And it's all to God's glory that yeah. we're still here. It's only him. It's only him. So a couple of questions. We've only got a few minutes left, mm -hmm. but... Are there any heresies today regarding the atonement? You know, Jackie, here's, this is kind of new, but the pastor that I talked about at the liberal United Church of Christ that doesn't believe Jesus made atonement, that's kind of a newer heresy. Christians for 2,000 years have believed that Jesus died in our place for our sins, but there's a liberal Lutheran pastor that I could quote, and she doesn't believe, she, she believes for God the Father to punish Jesus for our sin would be, quote, divine child abuse so she rejects the substitutionary atonement i don't know that you can reject the belief that jesus died for your sins and truly be saved and some of these people 
are pastors over churches. So this is kind of a new heresy that goes right to the root of what it means to be a Christian. Tom, where did heresy come from? Was it in the Bible or uh, in yeah. the Old Testament? If you read Paul's letters, read Galatians. The Galatian heresy was that you're saved by grace and good works. So he had to write the book of Galatia. Uh, the Corinthian heresy was you can live in impenitent sin and still be saved. So he had to write the book of, Galatia, uh, of Corinthians. There were various heresies right during the first century. So they go way back. Okay, so every branch of Christianity has heresies? Well, you've got heretics in every branch. Yes, you do. Okay. Well, that's kind of scary. <laughs> yeah, we'll do a whole show on that. Maybe we'll have to. <laughs> what, what did Martin Luther and the Reformers teach about justification? Yeah. Now, what we just read was maybe the most important paragraph of the Bible, Romans 3, where Paul teaches, we're, we're declared not guilty before God only by grace, by Christ's redemption. Martin Luther was a medieval monk, Catholic monk, and got the impression and teaching that you're saved by being good enough. He read the book of Romans, and he knew he wasn't good enough, he knew he was going to hell. Read the book of Romans, rediscovers grace, and starts preaching that we're saved and justified by grace. Changed the history of the world. So that's, that's kind of, uh, Martin Luther and the reformers got us back to the original teaching. And I know there are Catholics that believe we're saved by grace alone, but um, that's the way it was in the 1500s, yeah. So I guess that kind of leads into a little further in this question that some people say we're saved by God's grace and our good works. What does the Bible basically teach? All right, then? let's say, here, here's what we, we just read it, Romans 3. We maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And Jackie, that's good news. Because if you're saved by grace and good works, you'll never know if you're saved. Do you have enough works? And you also, another good verse is Ephesians 2. For by grace you've been saved through faith. That's not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not your good works, lest any man should boast. So Ephesians 2, Romans 3. So people have kind of taken it to the balance of wherever they want it to be? Well, the, the thing is, James talks about we're justified by faith and works. Now, so the question is, what's going on? I think if you put James and Paul in the same room, they would agree we're saved by grace alone. But what Paul means by, by faith is a living faith. What James means by faith in James chapter 2 is the dead faith that even the devil has. So there you go. Thanks for being with us this week. We pray that God would be with you this week, granting you his richest blessings until we're together again next time. Thank you for watching the Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write the Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always.